0: Imagine living in a time where six men kill themselves every day. And if we thought that's going to happen in 100 years, it sounds pretty gross, but it's actually now.
1: Uh, You know, originally fake news starts as a critique of news that's considered to be inaccurate. It's become a term that's used now to dismiss any news that you don't like.
2: And around one in seven young Australians uh, has a mental health condition. They are our most unwell generation that we've had. People don't accept the climate science. So if I
0: think about how we're going to save the world, art enables us to move in that direction.
2: The recent murder of Hannah Clark by her estranged husband in Queensland shows us the frightening reality of domestic violence and makes us question the way we think about masculinity. The experts we talk to fear the escalation of recent tragedies, along with increased male suicide and male violence towards other men. Today, we'll take a look at what's being described as the dystopia we're already living in and how we can create a better future for all of us men, women, and children. Let's hear from Steve Roberts.
0: I'm Steve Roberts, Associate Professor of Sociology at Monash University, and my research area is masculinity and social change. Associate Professor
2: Steve Roberts, welcome. Paint me a picture. We are 100 years in the future. We have not done anything to improve the way we think and talk about masculinity. What does Australia look like?
0: Imagine living in a time where one woman a week is killed by her current or former partner. And then imagine living in a world where six men kill themselves every day. And then imagine... Um, living in the middle of a global pandemic and one of the risks of that pandemic is that women are more exposed to domestic violence like that sounds pretty dystopian to me and if we thought that's going to happen in 100 years it sounds pretty gross but it's actually now so one of the things I really want to emphasize is that in some respects we're already living in dystopian times so in 100 years the worst case scenario is that those numbers amplify, multiply and uh, are a lot, lot worse. So, you know, masculinity is for me at the core, uh, one of the causes of these tragic events. And um, I think if we don't have a handle on re-educating and re- processes of re-socialization, I suppose, um, then everything will be worse. So I think we're on a track towards something terrible.
2: And it sounds like you think we already are in something pretty terrible.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think we're there. And I think, you know, I think what's even more terrible is those things are thought about as normal and acceptable in our society. That's tragic to me.
2: How did we get to this point?
0: <laughs> well, you know, we can blame thousands of years of patriarchy for this, I'm, I'm sure. So the the problem at the center of all this that many people in my field would say is this, um, the hierarchy of masculinity and, and femininity. So the, um, Valorization of particular performances of masculinity and the, the lack of value given to femininity and the kind of power struggle that, that, that lies therein.
2: Do you see any problem with some biological arguments that men just have more testosterone? That's yeah, why yeah. they're more aggressive. Is, is, is that wrong?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very complicated set of debates and um, I don't want to be dismissive of the biological accounts of masculinity per se, but like as a sociologist, I kind of am sceptical of, um, of that a little bit. And the main thing that we'd want to stress is that it's the social construction of masculinity that really matters. And th- w- one of the reasons that this is so important is because we know the, the implications of negative or toxic masculinity or whatever you want to call it, they're different across history, across time, across space. So different countries have, um, you know, different statistics that point to this. So because we know masculinity looks different in different times and different places, we know that it's not explicitly and only to do with biology. And the issue around, you know, uh, it's testosterone and it's just boys will be boys, I think is a... Um, is a convenient way of saying we don't have to do anything about it. And it's part of the reason that we've got this like, oh, that's, that's life. It's, it's harsh, but you know, yeah, women get killed sometime. That kind of attitude is built into our society, which is has this understanding that um, yeah, boys will be boys. Um, and it's an overspill of that.
2: What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes we're making at the moment in the way we talk about masculinity? Is it a problem to use the term toxic, ma- toxic masculinity? Is that off-putting to people?
0: Look, it, I think it is off-putting to some people, but I think it's off-putting to people who are already defensive. So people who already think that any conversation about masculinity is me, you, women, feminists mostly, pointing at them and telling them they're the bad guys. And they are then saying, oh, if you talk about toxic masculinity, you're saying all men are bad. And of course, we get bored of saying we're not saying it's all men what we're saying is there are particular performances of masculinity that are especially toxic to men and to women of course because men kill women and but men are killing themselves as well so um yeah it's a problem for everyone and i think it's irresponsible to say that we can't talk about some components of masculinity as being dangerous toxic or whatever
2: There's a big focus, rightly so, on domestic violence um, as a as an outshoot of toxic masculinity or problematic masculinity, whatever you want to call it. What about some of the less physically violent, but pe- perhaps um, similarly insidious forms of bad masculinity, toxic masculinity, that are happening in society that maybe we're not paying enough attention to?
0: Yeah, there's I mean, there's loads of them, right? Yeah, it's what a, would some of continual. them be? Um, so. Thinking about like men, what how masculinity affects them themselves is a really good place to start. So things like um, diet, like people eat in particular ways. So there's all kinds of research now that says men think that um, not eating meat. So being vegetarian basically is, you know, quote, air quotes gay or something or somehow unmanly. Um, and then at the other end of that spectrum, that to drink lots of alcohol is also bound up with masculine culture. So I think there are harms done to the self through that we wouldn't necessarily think of as being as bad as, you know, these outward displays of violence. Um, But then they're all linked to violence as well. So, like, we know that when people drink more, they're more likely to commit acts of violence. So, um, you know, and during the pandemic, like, people might drink more, but they're definitely more likely to um, be in a space in the home for longer and therefore women are at a higher risk of exposure to domestic violence so these things are all linked together despite the fact there are a whole range of smaller things that are problematic and that might be you know not having the freedom to dress or have the haircut that you want and be bullied for that if you if you a, a boy and you have long hair or whatever or you dress non-normatively um ranging all the way up to um not, i think you know not just domestic violence that leads to murder but um coercive control around um finances and this kind of stuff so there's a whole range of things that masculinity is implicated in that are super negative and they go up to people losing their lives
2: there is a big focus on um you know when we talk about toxic masculinity or masculinity in general and feminism what we're trying to do is um stop men doing things and showing how you know these are bad for women but as you sort of alluded to a one of the arguments of feminism is feminism is that no this stuff's bad for men too yeah, what what are that you you know not being able to have the haircut you want but what else is there what what are the other ways that men might not even realize these social norms are having a negative impact on the way they live their lives
0: so one that i've alluded to already in some of the research that we've done at monash is around drinking as well so like the drinking culture in australia is Um, quite particular in some ways. It's it's similar to um, some other Western cultures, but we know that it's bound up with masculinity. And we know that one of the ways that men connect with other men is through alcohol. So that has a detrimental effect on their life. And because it's um, bound up with masculinity and masculine norms and like the correct way to be a man, it's going to have a negative impact on their health without even realizing necessarily it's about performing masculinity. It's just the done thing, right? So people don't necessarily think I have to drink because I'm a man, but somehow those two things are still connected. So yeah, there's a whole range of stuff.
2: So like maybe a guy who doesn't particularly want to drink but feels he has to to yeah, sort of fulfill yeah. the role of being And, a and even even
0: if they don't, it, it's not necessarily the case that someone might be like, oh, I don't want to drink, but I feel that I have to. But the starting point is that they already do. So when you get people to try and explain why they drink, they don't know. Very mm-hmm. often they don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. And especially when you get to risky drinking levels, they don't really know.
2: How is Australian masculinity different to other versions of masculinity today?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So it has – so we know there are like some commonalities across a lot of um, Western nations, but there are some some different forms, I guess. I, I wouldn't want to pay too much attention to how different they are and in part it's because I think they return to caricatures that are not necessarily helpful. And I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. So I think like this idea of like – Again, air quotes like bogan masculinity is particularly problematic because it ends up pointing to a particular proportion of the Australian population, and then they get kind of demonised a little bit for their um, for their culture rather than for the, the social and material inequalities that they that they face. So I think it's kind of tricky, but like I suppose in a very um, stereotypical kind of way, Australian masculinity is a kind of like Steve Irwin, crocodile Dundee, mateship you know even the police officers and the pilots say or good a mate or whatever this kind of casual um uh, almost like brotherhood i suppose um and on the surface it's kind of supposed to be friendly and not insidious at all i think that's probably why most people or those people that are against the notion of toxic masculinity think it's all right in this country most most guys are everyday good guys good old mates or whatever but um yeah that disguises the insidiousness of the power relations
2: You mentioned uh, the air quote bogan type of person, which brings us to this, an interesting idea about class. How does class intersect uh, with masculinity in this country and the way we think about different types of men?
0: Yeah. Again, I think we need to be really careful here because there's a a risk that we end up saying that people from particular um, class backgrounds perform masculinity in a way that's, or they're the kind of... um, the the main source of toxic masculinity. So we know that class does have an intersection with gender performance and uh, and, all kinds of other social variables do as well. Um, But we might be thinking about things like working class or lower socioeconomic status men might do particular jobs, for example. I mean, of course they do. That's what your socioeconomic status is. And that might produce a particular type of um, interaction with other men or um, uh, the family more widely. But it doesn't necessarily mean that those kinds of things don't happen in middle class spaces as well. So what's unique about, uh, you know, air quotes, Bogan culture or whatever might actually not be to do with masculinity. It might just be culture Mm -hmm. and there might be some parallels between. um, So, for example, like uh, indigenous communities and, um, you know, air quotes, Bogan communities or working class communities uh, broadly thought as being kind of more violent, I suppose, more violent towards women, but towards other men as well. And actually, I think that's really misleading because we know that violence does happen amongst middle class men as well. And it's part of masculinity as a structure overall, not just to do with working classness. And I think that's a real, mm-hmm. real problem for societies today that we look to point to another group. You know, we know this in terms of race and ethnicity as well and say they're the problem. That's where the problem lies over here, rather than like having a real good, long, hard look at ourselves and other parts of society where there's a common thread of violence or um, dominance or power or, or hierarchy.
2: I wonder also if, I don't know the statistics, obviously, you know better than me, but let's just assume for argument's sake that domestic violence is more common in uh, lower socioeconomic groups. It's quite interesting and sad that if that were the case, that people would therefore think it's because this is something poor people do more. When we wouldn't for other issues plaguing lower socioeconomic groups, for example, say health outcomes are worse in lower socioeconomic groups, you know, more likely for this disease, that disease, whatever. We would never say it's because there's something wrong with these poor Mm. people. We'd say, well, what are the factors that are leading? What are the external pressures, the supports they're not getting that are giving this outcome? Why do you think we can't consider it in that way? Why is it that, well, if domestic violence is happening there, it's because of you as a people?
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, you know, because I think – there's a large group of people that would say that, you know, the the underclass that, that they're sometimes referred to, like even academics might say, well, alleged academics might say, uh, that's a group of people who are unsavable and it's something inherent. There's a, there's a problem there. And then if we think about uh, other academics might say, oh, no, that group faces um, particular types of stresses. So if they're talking about particular ethnic minority groups or um, sexual minority groups, they might say they, they face a minority stress and that. Um, is a predictor of certain types of behavior but when it comes to working class men's
1: Mm. drinking
0: or um, gambling or or violence especially people are very quick to say there's a problem with those types of people and they're so different to us and I think you know that's super problematic and one of the reasons they do it I'm kind of playing with this idea at the moment in some of my writing Um, I'm calling it the project of betterism and I think that academic men right uh, very quick to say, there's that group over there. They're not as good as us. That's kind of what they're saying. We're the reflexive, reflective yeah. individuals who sit in the ivory tower, and we get it. You know, we get it, and those people just can't cope with the pressure. And they might say, yeah, we get. We also understand that those pressures produce a particular form of uh, masculinity, which is yeah, bound up with violence and stuff. But actually. There's something not quite right over there, and they're the problem. Rather mm. than looking for those common threads and thinking very carefully about how middle-class men might disguise that violence, how you know we've had that example relatively recently of, of St Kevin's, where the the boys were on the tram singing sexist and misogynistic songs, um, and I'm sure there are lots of examples where middle-class men disguise their violence in all kinds of ways, and that might be because the police don't get involved because they, they don't need to, or you know they might have the financial power to to disguise in particular ways. Um, so I think yeah, we need to be a bit more sensitive around positioning particular groups as responsible for negative forms of masculinity. And I would say that's the same for uh, whether that's a working class group or um, an ethnic minority group and so on. It's very, very easy to say they're the problem over there.
2: What is the interface between the way we understand masculinity and homophobia?
0: So this is actually complicated in some ways because up until about 15 years ago, we were fairly certain that uh, masculinity was homophobia or homophobia was masculinity essentially it was so bound up with bound up together so the, the prospect of being a man and performing the right kind of masculinity actually one thing i should should say is that in academic circles we talk about masculinities we mm-hmm. talk about a plural um so we talk about like the dominant culturally idealized form of masculinity and that was up until very recently was very much bound up with homophobia so to expel femininity to expel anything that was like a woman I suppose and therefore um, imagining and thinking through the prospect of being gay as being reflective of that would be something that was rejected by men and and boys and men were taught to reject and hate so homophobia was um, you know a a gross but kind of crucial part of manliness in in lots of ways in the last couple of decades we've seen that shift a little bit and you want to stress very very carefully that's not to say that homophobia has disappeared but we have seen an increasing trend towards um, greater tolerance. So if you look at, at survey level data and close qualitative studies, they still find pockets of homophobia and lots of people see homophobia, but the number of people enacting or standing by homophobic sentiments is on the decline.
2: Mm. And so do you think that will have a positive knock-on effect in the way masculinity is performed and understood?
0: Yeah. And here's its an interesting tension though. So we think that that is a really important thing for for progress. So we think if we eliminate um, homophobia, then it opens up, this is what the research tells us, that it opens up the possibility for different types of behaviour. So whether that's, you know, dress or haircuts, whatever we were saying earlier, but also, and um, uh, again, we've done this kind of research at Monash with um, tactility between males, so like physical touch, becomes more um, viable, I suppose, for as a as a way of being for a contemporary young man. But the tension is that, does that then have a spillover into... Uh, relationships between men and women and that's what we're kind of investigating and, and why it doesn't so it might be that as homophobia declines you get this opening up of possibilities for being a man but we, at the minute we're not seeing much in the way of progress in terms of male and female relations
2: associate professor steve robert thank you so much for your time today Unfortunately, due to COVID, we've had to adapt and do a number of these interviews by phone. So while occasionally the audio isn't as great as always, we promise you the content is.
1: My name is George Varian. I lecture in Educational Leadership at Monash University. And I do research in uh, elite private boys' schools, but I also am interested in issues of gender and educational inequality.
2: Dr. George Varian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You've done a lot of research on um, single-sex schools, particularly those elite private schools. What did you find about the way those schools have um, an impact on the culture of masculinity? well
1: there's just so much written about you know boys masculinity in these schools and it've been written for so long that one wonders why that none of that scholarship has had much traction and uh i guess in a sense what i was looking for is you know uh well, i wasn't looking for it i was just surprised to find that uh, for example the most provocative stuff in my data set was that you know uh, young uh, female teachers were reporting that they were you know sexually harassed by their students uh, and I found that data on all of my sites that I studied uh, and I guess in a way that that was the most confronting thing for me to, to see that and I was it was you know totally I, sad to say, unexpected. Uh, I'm sure the uh, my uh, research committee, uh, uh, the supervisory team uh, were not surprised, but I was probably surprised. And then I guess it's about unpicking why I'm surprised and, and, and why are other people surprised or why do they recognise this differently than, than it is? And there are a number of reasons for that.
2: So what are the reasons?
1: Well, I guess... You know, To start with any institution, I guess you're incentivized not to see the difficult issues that are there, you know, and uh, one of my participants called it like the golden handcuffs, you know, these teachers are well paid, Uh, they enjoy a status that, uh, you know, public teachers don't enjoy, Uh, they consider their working environment to be, you know, comfortable and uh, well resourced and that they can teach their subjects so there are lots of reasons why they want to be in these schools and why they are incentivized to kind of rationalize away the issues that they see uh, so in a sense you know there's that aspect of it but then there's also the fact that these schools are, are very asymmetric in terms of their relationships in the school from the headmaster down to the teachers and so there's this issue of power that that really tends to curtail the ability of insiders to speak out uh, when issues arise. So the, those asymmetries also then extend not just within the school, but because this is a high these high fee paying schools, we have you know, parents paying lots and lots of money uh, for their kids to be safe, uh, as well as you know, to achieve the results that these schools are you know, paid to achieve. And so there's the relationship with the parents that make it also very difficult. I think for, for teachers to speak out when they are being harassed. And then there's the slippery line between, you know, what do we consider harassment uh, when, you know, it's recognized in the, in the, the legislation that, you know, the age of 16, you know, the younger kids, is it, you know, is it harassment? Uh, Well, legally, you know, it's over that age. So, uh, you know, there's that issue as well, but, but, you know, it's so, there are a number of reasons why they incentivized to see harassment as something different. Uh, and so, you know, this is, so they, they, there's this, I guess, you know, in a, in Bordeauxian way, it's like teachers misrecognize it to an extent they disavow it. They don't believe it's happening. Uh, they tend to see it as a question of teaching, uh, rather than a question of gender.
2: Right. So and why can't these female teachers just manage the class better?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And because, you know, classrooms, you don't wander into each other's classrooms typically, especially if you're a teacher. Uh, and, and then, you know, you tend to say, well, they just don't have control. And, but this is stuff that's been, you know, talked about ad nauseum, right? So uh, where people misrecognize um, or, or even teachers that do, uh, you know, like in, in studies that do talk about this, they, they also feel, you know, uh, that they should be in control of their classroom, right? That is their failure. And so, you know, when they do speak up, it always becomes a question of their own teaching and then they question themselves as well. So uh, it becomes really difficult to confront the issue because it really is, it becomes a non-issue. It just becomes disappeared. Uh, And so you can't confront the emergence of this toxic masculinity kind of behaviors when they do emerge because people are too busy disavowing it for, you know, all the reasons I've stated already.
2: If private, elite private boys' schools continue on the way that they are or the way that you found in your research, what, what impact will that have on the future of masculinity?
1: Well, it's a good question because, you know, one of the things that's changing is the, the digital environment is becoming more ubiquitous, social media, so boys are mobilising as well in these spaces. Uh, to bully and to you know sexually harass their teachers as well so you know if they if you know there there are lots of things and then now with the covid situation I, I don't know how this is really going to change our world as well so i don't know if boys schools will continue on the way they were when i did my research whether there's a new type of hybrid world that we're going into so it's hard to say what will happen now that we've had covid overtake all of us uh, as well but I think that, you know, it's not just a question for boys school about becoming co because I think it's not about the girls fixing the problems with the boys, you know, it's that same logic again, it's about getting their house in order, and I think it's about confronting some of the issues they have, and they're complex. Uh, I think also it's about taking out some of the oxygen out of these, you know, high fee-paying schools this marketized way of organizing our schools i think are going to lead to silences because they're so busy with their reputation so you know there's lots that can be done at the level of policy as well as within these schools if we don't do it then we're just going to continue on as normal uh, and seeing you know these logics that are in the schools the disempathy the yeah. The gender issues just continue to emerge and and then you go from scandal to scandal they will not go away Uh, and uh, but the thing is it's so easy to tolerate these scandals it would seem you know it's a question of leadership okay then we move on the news goes to the next item and and we don't actually deal with it so yeah I I, I don't know whether I think school leaders that are you know willing to confront this will see that there has to be something done because I think in the end they do want the best for their students, right? Parents want the best for their kids. And uh, I think it's about, you know, just addressing the issues that are there rather than turning away from it. I think it's in the best interest of their, their school communities and their students. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't know what will happen, uh, but certainly it's having these honest conversations, but it's really difficult. Like I've said, the reason they don't have it is because of these market issues. and. Mm-hmm. and and their culture.
2: Dr. George Varian, thank you so much for your time.
1: Uh, You're very welcome.
2: On the next episode, we'll hear a more positive perspective, how masculinity is changing and how men are being encouraged to change past patterns of behaviour. We'll discover the programs designed to help men connect in positive ways. Thanks to our guests today. That's it for this episode. For more information on what we discussed can be found in our show notes.